we've been thinking over Christmas about um, experiencing the gift of a lifetime. We've been celebrating uh, the gift God gave when he gave his son. We've been celebrating how that as we receive him, we become children of God. We, we kind of get into a new place with God as we receive the gift of his eternal life that he's provided for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've been thinking about that all over Christmas. And as we saw on Christmas Day, that gift comes, that life comes into our experience. Uh, and it's like we're kind of adopted into a, a new family. We have a new kind of place with God. And the Holy Spirit brings that into our lives. And in the Roman world, someone outside a family could be adopted. Maybe they were a slave, or they may have been the son or daughter of a slave, and, and the owner of, of a household could adopt them into their family, into their household, and they would have all the rights and all the privileges as if they were born in that Roman family. And that's when the Bible talks about adoption. It has that idea that was, was current in the, the, the world in which the New Testament was written. That's at the back of it. And once you've been adopted, then with all these privileges, uh, we're born into God's family. That's why the Bible speaks about us being co-heirs with Christ. And we thought about that on uh, Christmas Day from Galatians 4. And we read of it again in a really well-known passage in the Bible in Romans 8. So would you like to just turn up Romans 8? I just want to speak for about 10 minutes now and 10 minutes later on uh, this passage as we think about it. Romans 8, and it's on page 1134. 1134, and I want us to read uh, verse 15 to 17 to start with. Later, we'll read the rest of the passage, and, um, but it's on 1135, actually, page 1135. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. See, again, did did you notice that, that it's about the gift that you received? The spirit you received, see, the spirit you received is mentioned twice. This gift of the Holy Spirit, this new life that we've been given uh, becomes real in our experience. That's what this passage talks about, isn't it? It's saying this adopted status, this connection with Jesus that we have as believers is something that we know and can actually feel deep inside of us. It says we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, means it's a very intimate term for God. It's actually how when, when Jesus prayed, he, he prayed, Abba, Father. He, he was expressing a, an intimacy, uh, an ease of access, a sense of belonging and, and welcome as we use that phrase. Like a little child might say, Daddy or Papa or Dada or Dad or whatever that kind of name it is. It, it, it means that, that there's this close relationship there. 
And that comes into our experience by the Holy Spirit. And you, when you first become a Christian, I don't know whether you notice that suddenly praying is a bit different. You're able to pray, not like long prayers, but you're just aware that you're talking to God and that he's there. Because it says there on that, in that verse, the spirit you received by him, we cry, Abba, Father, we begin to pray. We come alive to God when we uh, turn from our sin and trust Jesus and welcome him into our lives. And we begin to feel that we're, we're kind of different. We're privileged. We're loved by our Father. We're co-heirs with Christ. It's really great, isn't it? To be co-heirs, to share in his glory. But did you notice that we also share in his sufferings? Aha. Uh-huh. So, as we, this brings us right into 2016 and 2017. For those of us who may be concerned that, that there's some terrible things that are happening in the world. There are some, some tough things that we face in our lives. There are some tough things that we, we know we're experiencing in our church community. So how do we face those things in this year that is ahead of us? What can Romans 8 uh, tell us? How do we do it? Well, let's read on verse 18 to 27 on page 1135. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. There's a lot in there, and I'm just going to kind of cream some of it off and and see how it might help us as we face. How do we face, as God's adopted children, how do we face things that might be tough as they come into our lives? Well, the first thing uh, is that we we kind of, we know about groaning. (laughs) Now, what does that mean? Well, there's something in this passage about groaning. It says here that the whole of creation is groaning. And it says, we know that. And, and it, that, the, the verses before verse 22, I'm not going to go into them, kind of describe how things are. It, they describe the fact that creation is not as it should be. But more than that, we know that it's groaning, but it says we know that the creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. So what about the child, pains of childbirth? What happens at the end of the pains of childbirth, it's resolved. A baby is born. Something much more glorious happens as a result. 
And what Paul is saying in this passage, I think in wanting us to get hold of, that we know that creation isn't right. We know that something's wrong with the world. But we also know that there's something coming that is much better and that we are part of it. As it says in verse 18, we are part of it. There is glory that we will be, will be revealed in us. So we get perspective when suffering comes. When suffering comes, we know that it's just not, as it were, about us in the sense that God hasn't singled you out for suffering or me out for suffering. It's come because the whole of creation is broken and we're part of it. And we, we live in the light of that. But we also know that God is going to fix it one day. And the whole of creation will be fixed because of what Jesus has done. But it says here that we groan. It says here we groan because it says uh, we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. It says we groan ourselves because we have the Holy Spirit in us. We've got the first fruits. We know something of what's coming in the future. God's done so much for us. We've had a taste of, of heaven, if you like. And so our groaning is kind of saying, not only do we, we know that creation's broken, but we know we're kind of stretching forward. We know because God is going to complete what he began in Christ and our salvation one day will be complete. The Holy Spirit is with us, giving us hope, it says. You notice all those times hope is mentioned here. In this hope, we were saved. So Paul says, we're waiting patiently. We eagerly know what's coming. More about hope uh, in the next few weeks. We're doing a series starting next Sunday, all about hope. But what do we do until the day we will receive this full salvation? How do we kind of get there? Well, verses 26 to 27 tells us. It says, the Holy Spirit helps us. When we are weak, when we suffer, when others suffer, when we don't know how to pray, especially when we cannot pray, because there are times in our Christian experience when it is very difficult to pray, because we don't know what to pray. We just don't know. But we come to God and we trust him with the situation. We bring the situation to him and say, Lord, I don't know, but hear my heart. And at those times, we're held with our confusion, with our pain, with our doubts. And it says here that the Holy Spirit prays what we cannot pray. Sometimes, just at that moment, in some kind of mysterious way, we don't really know what Paul means here. He may be referring to a kind of supernatural gift of tongues. He may not be, doesn't say. But what he's saying is that there are times we can't pray, but we can trust that, that our needs are being kind of presented to God. So we can trust we can leave it. Sometimes I think the Holy Spirit prays through other people. You can't pray. I mean, there are people in the fellowship, I'm not going to mention their names, but there are people who we know find it very difficult to pray at the moment because of what they're going through. So how will the Holy Spirit intercede for them? Maybe for, by prompting you to pray, or me, me, sorry, you or me to pray something for them. God can be trusted as we go through difficulties and suffering. And did you notice, now it's the Holy Spirit who groans. So he groans. He joins in with creation. He joins in with us. He knows our hearts. He knows God's mind. And he prays the will of God 
always. He does that. When you can't pray, God is, hasn't abandoned you. He's still bearing your needs into his own kind of presence. So how do we face it? Well, we know about creation. We know that it's groaning. We realize we're part of a groaning, broken world. We know that it's going to be fixed, that one day Christ will put it all right. And he's already started putting it right in our hearts because we have the Holy Spirit now. And we we continue. We wait in hope and he helps us. So that's one way perhaps we can kind of face uh, an uncertain world in uh, 2017. We're going to respond in praise and prayer. We're going to sing some songs. If you'd like to, to, to join in and pray, and um, yeah, we'll do that. And then the, when the songs have ended, we'll, we'll continue with some other things as well. Um, I want us to uh, look now at, uh, again, in Romans 8. I, since it's participant, I wonder, would anyone like to help by reading some of this passage? Um, Romans 8, you don't have to do it all, but it would be good. What page is it? 1135. So I'm looking for someone to uh, read uh, verses 28 to 30. Anyone like to volunteer to read verse 28 to 30? Sim, thank you. I'll, I'll call on the elders if no one else does it. Thanks, Sim. <laughs> And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Thank you. Would someone like to read verses 31 to 34, please? Who'd like to read verse 31 to 34? Maybe, uh, thank you, Alice. I was looking for a lady. That would be good. Thank you. What, the <coughs> Sorry. what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And would somebody like to read verse 35 to verse 39? Some people think it's one of the best bits of the Bible. Anyone like to read that? Sandra, thank you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, 
not anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you. They're great words, aren't they? If we can uh, skip back to the first of the slides, please, Howard, in that section. Thanks. So, there are some massive truths here, aren't there? And um, again, I must confess I don't really understand quite a lot of them. But uh, what I do understand, I find very exciting. And I just want to, again, pick up on one or two areas that might help us as we move ahead into 2017. At the center of this is, is this amazing truth. This is right at the center If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? There's probably no several versions in, in your head. It's an amazing statement about God giving us his son and how he's continuing to give us his grace. He gives us all things along with Jesus. It's this truth of our being connected to Jesus, to being adopted into God's family that comes up again. And in Jesus, he's going to give us all things. And this truth in this passage is like the hub of of a wheel with spokes that go out from it. And out of this central truth of God giving his son and then giving us all things in him, kind of all the other things in the passage kind of go out to the, the edge of the wheel, which is kind of where the rubber hits the road, as it were, in terms of our lives. So what does he give us in Christ? Well, first thing is that God works in everything. It says in all our circumstances, God is at work for good. Even in the bad stuff, he will work something of his goodness into our experience. Because verse 29 says, God's plan is for us to be like Jesus. And the good that he does in all circumstances is in in making us more like Jesus. That's God's ultimate plan, and it's an amazing plan, and he will do it. And, and sometimes as we go through tough things, the good things he does are, are things that are, are in us that perhaps we don't even see. Second thing is he works through time, and he works into eternity. Those verses there, 29 to 30, they're, 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 there's some big stuff in there, and uh, if you thought we, I was going to explain them, sorry, haven't got time, and as I say, I don't fully understand them anyway. But the big idea in verse 29 and 30 is that God has this amazing purpose, uh, the, the, his present tense work in making us like Jesus goes right back into somehow into his plans in eternity past and goes on right into the future when we'll be with Christ. And that's the scale of God's kind of involvement in your life and mine. That's, God, that's what God is doing through time and through eternity. And what else does it say? God has done everything we need. Verse 33 says, who will bring any charge against us? It is God who justifies. God has made us right with him. We are clean if we're in Christ. We are forgiven We are complete. We are being transformed. God has done this for us. God has done it. That's the great thing about Christianity, about the Christian faith. God has done something and given it to us. We don't have to try and do it ourselves. Almost, I think, probably 
not, not almost, but every other religion is about doing it yourself and hoping it will be all right in the end. It's not like that. God has done it. It is God who justifies. It's an amazing thing to hold on to. He's done everything we need. So nothing or nobody condemns us because it is God who has made us right with him. And how has God done that? It tells us in verse 34. Christ Jesus who died. He died in the past for our sins. Our debt has been paid. Our dirt has been washed. Our imprisonment has been busted. Our enemy has been disarmed and defeated. Whichever of the different pictures in the New Testament of what Jesus done you care to use. But Christ has died for us. It's happened. It's done. We don't have to do anything. Nobody can condemn us. But not only that, Jesus has been raised to life. His death was accepted by God. His victory vindicated and seen. So that now as the risen living Lord, he is the one who is in our lives by his Holy Spirit. With us in the present, working in our lives, making us like him. He is the one who was raised to life. But more than that, he is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Jesus is now in the presence of God praying for you, praying for me. Praying about those things that we're tempted by. Praying about those things we might get wrong. Praying about those things that we've already got wrong and fear that their effect might be on the present because of the past. Or for the future. He's taking care of those things, the weaknesses, the sin, the mistakes, the temptations, the struggles. He is in the presence of God praying for us, for you, for me. If you're connected with him, if you're an adopted child of his. So nobody can condemn us. Nobody. And that includes Satan, or you might call him the Satan, the accuser, that kind of... uh, arch enemy of God who though defeated still accuses of all kinds of things it includes each other and it includes ourselves you know I don't need it I don't need you to condemn me I can do that perfectly well on my own thank you are you like that nobody can condemn us not even ourselves and what do we have instead not just nobody condemning us we have much more than that verse 35 what do we have The love of God in Christ. God's provision of his love in the Christ, the anointed king, the Messiah, Jesus, the one who carries all of God's promises, the one who fulfills all of God's purposes, the creator, the sustainer, the Lord of all, the king, the Messiah, Christ Jesus. When we use the word Christ, it's a a kind of a shorthand of all, all that he carries of God's purposes in him. Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, the one who died, who is risen, and who is praying for us. We have that love from him. That love that isn't going to run empty. That love that isn't going to go somewhere else. Because it says nothing, nothing can separate us from that love. And that love enables us to be more than conquerors. What does that mean? Does it mean you won't have trouble? No, it doesn't. You probably will. We all do. Because we're in this groaning world. But it does mean that the troubles do not have to have the last word. Because nothing in all of creation can separate us from that love.
And that's where we begin, 2017. Whatever's ahead, we go confident that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Let's respond in some praise uh, as, as we come towards the end of our time together.